Support for this public radio podcast comes from Acura, featuring the TL Type S with a 286-horsepower V6 and real-time traffic alerts. Learn more at Acura.com. Radio Times, I'm Marty Moss-Cohen. Pennsylvania could become the first state in the country to ban labels on milk cartons and bottles that said that the milk was free of artificial growth hormones. The Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture ruled recently that state dairy farmers who did not inject their cows with synthetic growth hormone could no longer promote that practice on their label. The ruling, which is still under advisement, has generated a fair amount of controversy. Critics argue that consumers have a right to know what is and isn't in their food. Some have raised concerns about the risks associated with using recombinant bovine growth hormone for cows and for humans. Supporters of the ban contend that the label is misleading and that this synthetic growth hormone is not harmful to the animal or the individual. The decision by the Agriculture Department is temporarily on hold and the issue is being closely watched by farmers, the food industry, retailers, and milk drinkers. Pennsylvania is the fifth largest dairy state in the country. We invited the Pennsylvania Secretary of Agriculture, Dennis Wolf, to join us, but he declined our invitation. Nonetheless, we have two guests who did agree to be guests on Radio Times, and let me introduce them to you, both of them joining us by telephone. Terry Etherton is Distinguished Professor of Animal Nutrition, head of the Department of Dairy and Animal Science at Penn State University. His research focuses on endocrine regulation of animal growth and nutrient metabolism, the importance of biotechnology in the barnyard. He served on the Commonwealth's Food Labeling Advisory Committee, which determined that milk labeled hormone-free is confusing to consumers. Terry Etherton, nice to have you with us on Radio Times. Good morning. Good morning, Marty. It's great to be here. Nice to have you here. And also joining us by telephone, Michael Hansen, a senior staff scientist with Consumers Union working on uh, food safety issues. He served on the USDA Advisory Committee on Agriculture Biotechnology from 1998 to 2002. He frequently testifies at federal and state hearings on issues related to food safety. And Michael Hansen, nice to have you with us on Radio Times as well. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Nice to have you with us. I want to make sure our listeners know what it is that we're talking about, and I'll give each of you a chance to describe uh, what is at issue here. We're talking about recombinant uh, BGA, uh, bovine growth hormone. How would you uh, describe what it is that we're talking about, Terry Etherton? Thanks, Marty. Uh, We're talking about a technology that was approved by the Food and Drug Administration in 1993 and then was first sold or used commercially in the dairy industry in 1994. Uh, it's a recombinant version of a molecule that the cow makes. Uh, all mammals, including humans, make growth hormones. Another name for that, somatotropin. And uh, this is a technology that uh, many, many dairy farmers have embraced because it uh, allows milk production to increase. They get about 10 pounds of extra milk a day. Uh, this allows them to earn more money. And uh, I call it a profit tool. And the discussion we'll have will intersect uh, viewpoints about the label. It'll be intersecting consumers' freedom to know, and I'm very supportive of their right to know. And there's a splash of this where producers have a right to use the safe and approved technology, and if they have that hijacked away, then that's not right. Well, we'll pick up on all of those, but let me give our other guests a chance to describe what it is that we're talking about, recombinant BGH or recombinant BST. How would you describe it, Michael Hansen? Yes, it is a uh, protein hormone that is injected into cows and is designed to uh, to cause them to produce more milk. It is a um, hormone that is one amino acid different than the natural sequence that the cow produces herself, and that does have implications for uh, the health of the cow. I should also point out, I uh, in a certain way. Uh, agree with uh, Terry Etherton that this also has to do, there's unanswered questions with uh, human safety. I should point out that actually not that many farmers use it. According to USDA figures as of 2007, only 17% of all the cows in the country uh, are being injected and only 15% of the farmers are using it and those figures are down about 25% from 2002. As for the concept that it's a profit tool to earn more money, I can just say that uh, large-scale studies that have been done in uh, New York State and Connecticut and also in Michigan have found that um, when you look at sort of uh, all farmers, there is not a statistically significant increase in profit uh, profitability. So 
while some farmers make money on it, other farmers lose so that in the aggregate um, there is not an increase in profits. And it should be said that both the Food and Drug Administration and the Federal Trade Commission has said that these labels uh, are not misleading at all. And I'll try to pick up on all those points that you just laid out there. But let's go back to this label, and I'll put this first to you, Terry Etherton. Let's say you have a farmer who does not use uh, this R, um, RBGH or RBSC, does not use this growth hormone. Why, what is misleading about a label that says free of artificial growth hormones? Well, there's uh, an element here in the spirit of truth and labeling in that there is no way to prove that by assay. So it then goes uh, to the issue of how do you verify use or non-use. And then the bigger issue that overarches that, and this obviously differs from what Michael just shared, uh, there's over 3,000 studies that have been published in the scientific literature looking at the biology, safety, and efficacy of BGH or BST, and that huge database shows that there's no uh, evidence base to say there's an increased risk to cows or consumers. And so the labeling guideline moved in that spirit. And there's another piece of this where, and I appreciate this, there are consumers that value different production practices. For, organic, for example, organic farming is a production practice that some consumers value. So if people want to buy something that is RBST-free, they can go buy organic milk. That certification system's in place. And so part of this uh, discussion relates to the, some in the dairy industry evolving a product that's priced between conventional and organic and uh, using these uh, labeling claims that say it's free of hormones or RBST or antibiotics or pesticides in a way that kind of, in a way that, you know, is intended to scare consumers thinking that maybe they should spend some more money and buy the RBST free as opposed to conventional. Let me go back to the first thing that I think you said, and it sounds like you're saying that when a dairy farmer claims uh, that the milk is free of artificial growth hormones, there's no way to verify that? Is that what you're by saying? By assay, that's what I'm saying. The only way you can verify that is by asking, then you're dealing with the element, how do you prove it? You don't know. And if they're going to do that, there needs to be some sort of certification program. And, and a part of my discussion is that the organic certification standards are in place. So then you could ask the question, why do you need another product when you have one that if people want to buy RBST-free milk, then go buy. And is that why you say this label is misleading? Because it, it, there's no way to really verify that the milk is free of these That's artificial- right. And then it's, these absence claims uh, are intended to, to, to lead people to think, well, maybe if it's antibiotic-free, that means there might be some antibiotics in milk. The reality is that Milk's the most inspected food on the planet. What goes on sale at retail is antibiotic-free. And we've got the safest food supply we've ever had in recorded history. So I don't want listeners to lose sight of that. Well, let me turn back turn to you, Michael Hansen, and let's take this, this label. And if there's no way to police the label, does it end up being misleading? Uh, no, it doesn't. There's easy ways to, uh, as you say, police the label. Farmers have to sign affidavits, which are legally binding documents. And I should point out there's many labels that are allowed where there's no test. For example, in Pennsylvania, you've got labels that say locally grown. There's no test you can do on a piece of food to show that it's locally grown. Or more importantly, let's look at country of origin labeling. We require all fish and seafood to be labeled to their country of origin. We're going to be requiring it for all foods uh, toward the end of this year. We already require it also for all juices that come into this country, and there's no test you can do on a food to determine what country of origin it is. That's why you have a paper trail. We do it for lots of things. So the notion that you can't label something uh, because there's no test is just silly on its face because we have a lot of labels that there's no way to verify on all sorts of products. Well, let me just jump in here, but are you saying then it's kind of an looking at milk and looking at Pennsylvania or a state like Pennsylvania, it really ends up being an honor system? Uh, no. That farmers have to sign affidavits. Those are legally enforceable documents. It would be like lying in court, okay? Uh, we do think that if you want to increase um, uh, if you want to increase the rigor or verification process, there's more you can do. You can make the affidavits certified. You could uh, require that there be um, 
a civil penalty for a violation of those, and you could require that uh, the folks that want to make those labels, the dairies, would have to send uh, people out un- unannounced to the farms to make sure that the conditions of the affidavit are being followed, that is, that the this material is not being used. But again, I should point out that we have many labels on food products right now where verification is just at the paper level. So I guess you could call that uh, those are all... Uh, you know, uh, relying on the honesty of uh, of someone. We do it all the time. Well, let me get you, Terry Etherton, to respond to what Michael Hansen just said, which is that, that there are affidavits, there are, I guess, uh, if you need to, ways of verifying that this milk is, is free well, of artificial hormones. The, the, that's a lousy system because it's, it's really hard to actually do it. Uh, for example, in Pennsylvania, there's about 8,500 dairy farms, and Michael early said that the usage was around 17%. The data are actually higher than that. So let's say that one-third of the dairy farms use that. There's a huge cost to go out and do this. And then the overarching issue is that, you know, my argument based on the science evidence base is that all milk is the same. So that is conventional, organic, RBST as far as nutrient content, composition, there's no difference. So then... You go down the path of having these affidavits, and then there are a bunch of producers and small dairy farmers and large dairy farmers have called me. Uh, a lot of producers have one outlet for their milk, so if they get forced to signing an affidavit to give up a safe, effective profit tool, they're getting cheated out of money, and who's there to protect them? So that's in this mix. So the affidavits, a lot of producers, I think, have refused to sign them. A lot have been forced into it, and so they're being, in a way, hijacked out of using something that makes them money. And and this is a hard business to operate. I don't know if Michael's ever visited a dairy farm or milk cows, but it's a really difficult business. Well, let me get you to respond to that, uh, Michael Hansen. Well, there's... Again, I guess I don't under, understand. Part of the reason that, quote, farmers are being forced to sign affidavits is because the market is demanding more and more RBGH-free milk. Oh, so on, that on, if on. you have the Wawas and the Krogers saying that because of consumer demand, they're, uh, they would like milk from treated cows. And if farmers don't want to supply that milk, then they can sell their milk elsewhere. That's how markets work. This whole notion of because it technology is supposedly better that you have to use it well i'm sorry but that's not how market works we could look at uh for example the uh vcrs versus betamax betamax was clearly clearly a quote superior technology but it didn't it didn't work in the the marketplace and so the fact that you have more and more markets that are going rbgh free because that's what they say their customers want um if farmers don't want to supply that milk, uh, that's fine. Uh, they can try to sell it elsewhere. But to say that no one is saying that the farmers can't use this technology, it is not being banned, it's just some of the processors are saying, if you can't meet the conditions, then we're not going to buy your product. And this happens all the time in agriculture. For example... Well, you know what, Michael Hansen, hold on to that thought, only because we're up on a break here. That's Michael Hansen, also with us, uh, Terry Etherton. And we're talking about uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture ruling recently that dairies that do not inject their cattle with synthetic growth hormone can no longer labor their, label their milk as hormone-free. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Supporting WHYY, the Breast Cancer 3-Day, dedicated to the belief that everyone deserves a lifetime. This year's 60-mile walk takes place October 17th through 19th. More at the3day.org or 800-996-3-DAY. This Week in This American Life. A big th- running theme was Bob's importance, particularly in Brazil. The epic story of a building super. And he claimed that there was a um, clause in the Constitution of Brazil that gave him immunity from any prosecution whatsoever. And that, in fact, he could, as he put it, uh, go and kill the president, and he would still be immune. Stories of supers this week. Wednesday night at 10 o'clock on WHYY. April 4th, 1967. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. made a bold statement that angered many of his countrymen. It wasn't about civil rights. Instead, Dr. King spoke out against the war in Vietnam. We should take the initiative in bringing a halt to this tragic war. I'm Farai Chidea, King's other call to America's conscience, next time on News & Notes from NPR News. 
tonight at 9 on WHYY. WHYY is supported by Glenn Mead, a wealth advisory and investment management firm managing over $20 billion in assets, with offices in Philadelphia, Wilmington, Princeton, Morristown, and Cleveland. Details at glennmead.com. This is Radio Times here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Marty Moss-Cohen. The Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture ruled this past fall that dairies that do not inject their cattle with synthetic growth hormone can no longer label, the, label their milk as hormone-free. This decision, which has actually been put on hold, uh, raises a host of questions for consumers, for dairy farmers, retailers. And uh, joining us to debate this decision is Terry Etherton of Penn State University and Michael Hansen of uh, Consumers Union. We do have a full bank of calls, not surprisingly. But let me go back to you, Terry Etherton, and just put put the question in a slightly different way. If there were a way to police the non-use of this synthetic growth hormone, what would be wrong with putting that then on a label of milk that says... Uh, Can I uh, address the issue we just discussed about consumer demand? Okay, sure. That's really important. you know, if you look at well-conducted, non-biased consumer surveys, and appreciate you can do a survey and get to a predetermined outcome, uh, there's really no broad-based consumer demand for milk from cows that are not, that's not supplemented with RBST. And uh, the International Dairy Foods Association, which is an organization that represents milk processors, have done surveys. And, you know, in that database, 30% of consumers uh, surveyed were aware of hormone use. 70% didn't care. Maybe a more telling perspective is International Food Information Council, which is based in D.C. They do an annual survey about perceptions about technology, and over the last 10 years they've done that. And in the context of what are consumers concerned about with respect to food safety, now this is open-ended where it's the top-of-the-mind response, 3 to 5% are concerned about biotechnology from a food safety standpoint. So that, you know, the, the, the consumer in this is the retailers that can buy milk at the farm gate, not pay more for it, and then sell it for more and not share those profits with producers. That's what's got dairy farmers stirred up to use the technology. Well, let me get to you, Michael Hansen, to re- respond to this question of, of consumer demand for this kind of milk. Uh, that's just not true. Um, Consumers Union, for example, we did a nationwide poll on a variety of food labeling issues um, in June of this year. And we conducted a telephone survey using a nationally represented probability sample of telephone households. 1,004 interviews were completed among adults aged 18 and plus. Uh, we did it via Opinion Research Corporation's Caravan's twice-weekly national telephone surveys. And there were 76% of the people polled were concerned about the use of synthetic growth hormones uh, in dairy production, and a full 88% said that that uh, labels from cows that have not been treated with this uh, product should be allowed on should be allowed to be done. So the consumer demand is very uh, strong there from surveys. You also have if if you listen to the uh, folks in the dairy industry, they often say that they are the reason they're they're doing this is because they're hearing from their customers. Now, if you want to accuse all those, wait, 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 wait. part of the propaganda. Ter- Ter- wait, 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 wait. Let me just jump in here and and let me give Michael Hansen just a chance to to okay. finish his thought, and then I have another question for you, Terry Everton, and then we'll get to our callers. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, yes, I would also point out that he's quoting from statistics from the International Dairy Foods Association. Well, IDFA, you should know, they are opposed to what uh, is going on in Pennsylvania because these labels are not misleading. The Federal Trade Commission and the Food and Drug Administration have said that over and over again. Um, these absence labels, we have them on all sorts of products. You can pick up things that say no artificial colors, no artificial flavors. That is not misleading. Uh, these labels are not misleading. The reason they're there is they allow people to make choices in the marketplace, and that's why they are there. This is, and this is something that, uh, that concern has been growing for a number of years. People are more concerned with the foods they eat and where they come from. Let me go back to my original question to you, Terry Etherton, then we'll get to our cause. But let's say, and this was your original criticism of this label, is that it was difficult to police. Let's say you could police the label so that when it's on a, a carton of milk that is free of artificial growth hormones, it's actually a correct label. What would be wrong with that? 
So you're saying that it would be uh, monitored or the exactly. word used by affidavit? In whatever way, so that, so that a consumer buying a carton of milk that had this label on it could know that that milk inside was actually free of artificial growth hormones. Yeah, what would be I wrong would, with that particular... Co- I, well, why would that be misleading? I would say go buy organic. They can do it right now. See, there's an element here where this new product niche is being introduced in a way to make more money. Michael talked about IDFA opposing this. Well, they're opposing it for good reason. They've got a scheme where they can pay no more at Farmgate for milk and then at retail sell it for a whole lot more using claims and, and things where they're trying to get consumers to think this milk is better because they have pesticides, antibiotics, or hormones. Some people respond to hormones in a bad way. don't re- realize that we all have thousands of hormones floating in our blood. To give you an example, the American Farm Bureau Foundation does a price survey uh, and some of the recent data, they do retail sampling of price at various cities. The RBST free was selling for about eighteen dollars and forty cents per hundred weight more. Now milk at the farm is sold on a hundred weight basis, so somebody after the farm is making eighteen dollars and fifty cents more in this BST free milk by these absence claims, and then they're not sharing those profits with the producers. That has got the producers stirred up that use the technology. Let me ask and you. And they have, a, you know, as I said before. They should have a freedom to choose how best to manage their farms, and sure. this is one of many tools that's available to them. Well, let me turn to you, Michael Hansen. Let, let's say someone goes to the supermarket and then they have a choice between a carton of milk that says free of artificial growth hormones and a carton of milk that doesn't say that. Would you say that the milk that doesn't have that label is somehow dangerous to drink or less healthy for a person or has um, health uh, considerations that people should think about? No. uh, What I would say is that that's a piece of information uh, that consumers can use to make uh, the purchasing decision. And that can be based on a number of factors. People could be concerned, for example, about animal welfare and animal health issues because contrary to what Dr. Etherton says, even the Food and Drug Administration has admitted that this drug increases uh, lots of disease and other health problems in cows. That's, in fact, why it was not approved in Europe and in Canada, because of the health implications on cattle. They're unanswered uh, human health questions that relate around another compound called insulin-like growth factor number one, IGF-1, and there is still a debate about that because there's a disagreement globally uh, about that uh, health question. So, So when Terry Etherton says that all milk is the same, you disagree, Michael Hansen? Uh, yes, uh, milk is of course different. I mean, That's farmers would argue that milk that comes from a Holstein tastes different than milk that comes from a Jersey. And that's part of what marketing is about. Are all cars the same? Are all t-shirts the same? No. Do, do consumers want to know what is in every car they buy? You know, Marty, there's a, a part of the discussion that relates to this. Consumers have a right to know. Now, if you tell them that coffee has, you know, 500 chemicals, then you're down, well, what does that mean? How do they interpret it? Most people don't care. And, you know, Michael just talked about the uh, EU banning this. There's no country that has a regulatory ban. The reality is in some countries it has not been approved for sale. That reflects politics and quota systems that are in place. And if you look at the, the reality that I see, you know, the, the, the European uh, Union's Committee for Veterinary Medicinal, Medicinal Products approved this. There's a number of agencies, uh, the American Medical Association, the Canadian Animal Health Institute, uh, the FAO, they've all said this is a safe and effective technology, the Grocery Manufacturer of America. So I want to focus this debate on is there really an evidence base to say this milk is different or it poses an increased risk to consumers? It doesn't. I think it's wrong to say, to scare people uh, that this is different and then have them go pay a whole lot more for it. And then if they want to do that, they then should share this extra profit fairly with the producers that are being cheated. Well, let me just jump in here. I do need to quickly reintroduce you. We've got uh, callers that want to get in on the conversation as well. The voice you just heard is Terry Etherton, and he's a distinguished professor of animal animal nutrition, head of the Department of uh, Dairy and Animal Science at Penn State University. He served on uh, the Commonwealth's Food Labeling Advisory Committee in Pennsylvania, determined uh, which determined that the milk label hormone-free is confusing to consumers. Michael Hansen, a senior staff uh, scientist with Consumers Union, working on food safety. 
safety issues, and he served on the USDA Advisory Committee on Agriculture Biotechnology, and that was from 1998 to 2002. Two very different opinions uh, that we're hearing on Radio Times. Let's go to our callers, and we've got Rob from Center City, Philadelphia, joining us. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Marty. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to address the issue that Dr. um, Efferton said Mm -hmm. about consumer uh, choice approach as far as choosing organic milk um, if you want uh, RBST-free milk. Um, I work at a grocery store, and we sell both RBST and organic um, milk. Um, RBST-free, I should say. And the, the price is considerably greater for organic. So just saying... um, saying that consumers should just choose organic milk, um, I think, is a ridiculous statement because it's a, it's a considerably amount um, more to buy organic milk, like two fifty, three dollars um, difference per gallon. Are you so selling the conventional to... milk in your store? What's that? Are you selling conventional milk in your store, and what's the we price? Sell, uh, we sell RBST-free milk um, and organic milk. We don't. But all not our conventional. Are um, either no. RBST-free or organic? Right, but you're but, saying there, there's a price difference, Rob, between the organic and the RBST-free. Yeah, like a considerable amount, like oh. two fifty, three dollars a gallon. And, and your question to, to Terry Etherton was because he was saying, well, people should just buy organic if they if they want to have right. milk that doesn't have this RBST. Uh, Terry Etherton, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. What, I didn't catch. What was the price differential? Did he say? He said it was considerable, and I'm assuming, you know, maybe yeah, 50, 60, he's 70. Offline. Well, well yeah, I, I, you know, I am very adamant that uh, paying anything more for the same milk is silly. Now, if people want to do that, then organic milk is there, and that's a platform in place, and in that system, producers get paid more, and that's the way the marketplace works. Mm-hmm. With the RBST free, you've got milk being sourced without any additional cost. It's being labeled with these absence claims that are confusing. Somebody other than the farmers is making a lot of money, and I think that that's an important part of this discussion. Well, who's making that money, do you think? And then I'll, I want to hear from Michael Hansen. Well, it, it, it's somebody other than the farmers, so that would be a combination of the cooperative, that is the people that pick the milk up on the farm in a, in a tanker truck, the processors that process the, the, the product, and the retailer. And then, Marty, you've got, the reason I asked about the question, mm-hmm. in some markets it's converged so you can't find conventional, and there's a, there's a problem here that's not insignificant. The, the people that pick the milk up at the farm, you know, they don't want to have two truck routes to pay money to go pick conventional and RBST. They'd like to have one, so this affidavit evolved so that they could push producers to give up the technology then they just have the cost of picking up milk into one truck rather than running two distinct lines. That is, you've got to segregate the milk from farm through the plant to retail, and that's an added cost. Oh, Michael Hansen, you want to speak to, to the cost issue? And if, if people are charging more for not using uh, this growth hormone, who's making the money there? And is that it depends. I mean, it it can be the uh, retailer. I've I've talked to farmers who dairy farmers who uh, are RBGH free, and they get a premium from their co-ops uh, compared to the conventional milk. So, depending on the the co-op, there are are differences. The fact that farmers might not be getting the bulk of this difference in uh, funds is again that has to do with how markets work. I mean, you can look at uh, talk to a wheat farmer and how much a box of Kellogg's Corn Flakes gets sold for, and the farmer sees less than a penny, you know? So uh, the fact that farmers might not be sharing uh, in the increased uh, prices, well, that's a labor negotiation between the farmers and others in the uh, the supply chain, and I don't know how much of it is something that we should be getting uh in, involved in, but if if there are cases where farmers aren't being adequately compensated, that's a labor issue that they should take up. Uh, Rob, thanks well, for the call. Co- well, hold on, hold on. Yeah, ter- just shows Michael hasn't, you know, here, here's a way to look at this. Uh, producers that use the technology in today's milk market per cow will take in an extra dollar thirty to a dollar fifty per day. Now, if they're hijacked out of that, then they are losing that amount of money, and that's not fair. 
and they're not being compensated. There's forces in many ways that are monopolistic in the dairy industry where a lot of producers have one outlet, one co-op for their milk. They can't ship it anyplace else, and they can't store it in the backyard in a silo. It's a very perishable commodity, so they've got to have it picked up. That really puts them in a crack where it's hard to negotiate, so this labor negotiation thing is just a... You know, that's a red herring. Well, let me just jump in here. I want to get to Joni from Penn Valley to join us uh, before we have to take our second break. Joni, go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, yes, Marty. Thank you so much for You're having welcome. this show. Sure. Um, I'm uh, speaking for myself and my granddaughter. Uh, I believe that there is an enormous pressure these days to uh, not to breastfeed because of time constraints and everything else. And uh, in order to be an educated consumer, you have to spend a whole lot of time and money uh, to look for these things. And I've also taken classes in epidemiology and am a physician, an obstetrician-gynecologist, and um, worked at Booth Maternity Center where... Well, you know what, Joni, let's not get on track here. But, I'm sorry. But sounds, anyway, I took sounds, epidemiology, and I know okay. that it takes an enormous amount of time for effects and side effects to come out. And meanwhile, well, you know what, the Joni, most vulnerable let, folks in our population are the children, and we aren't thinking of them. Okay, fair enough. Let me actually, just because, Terry, you were talking to the last caller, but let me just give Michael Hanson a chance to respond to this caller. Um, I mean, should should Joni be concerned, and should uh, parents with children, especially young children drinking milk, should they be concerned about the health of their, their kids? Well, what she's saying is that if there are side effects, it might take a uh, uh, long time to see that. And all all I can say is that if you look, there's still unanswered health questions. There is an increase when cows are injected with RBGH or RBST. It increases the level of another hormone called IGF-1, which is identical in cows and humans. It's the exact same uh, uh, molecule. Its levels are increased in milk. That, that comes from cows that are injected. It's also been linked to quite a number of uh, cancers. It, there's also evidence that it can survive digestion. So whether there would be a increased risk to various cancers, that is an open question that, that should be well, looked at. Let, let me though quote something from the FDA, which approved uh, the use of this uh, synthetic hormone milk and meat treat from treated cows is safe to consume. And this was after a, a multi-year study study. Uh, that's true, but they have said other things uh, are safe, only to find out later that they weren't. There was a lot of controversy over that approval process because involved in it, for example, um, the the woman who did the safety studies at Monsanto, her name was Margaret Miller. Oh. She, in 1989, moved over into uh, the FDA, was involved in the decision there. Um, we had Michael Taylor, who was head of policy and also wrote the guidance uh, on labeling, or his name is on it. He was a lawyer for Monsanto and went over to the FDA. There has been controversy over that approval, and I will point out that this drug was turned down in Canada for animal health grounds said that it could not be sold, and it was also turned down in Europe for animal health grounds, on animal yeah, health grounds. And, and, and hold on one second there, Michael Hansen. We're going to take a very short break, and I know, Terry Etherton, you want to respond to what Michael just said. Uh, we are talking with uh, Michael Hansen and Terry Etherton about milk and the labeling of milk. Stay with us. We'll be right back. say in the year 1900 alone over two million people went to the Yiddish theater. This is Larry Josephson. Join me for Becoming Americans, a journey through the Lower East Side of New York, part of the series Only in America, 350 years of the American Jewish experience. Tomorrow night at 11 o'clock on WHYY. When the Beatles first performed in Hamburg, Germany in 1960, they were befriended by Astrid Kircher, a young photographer who took now classic pictures of the band, gave them their famous haircuts, and got engaged to Stu Sutcliffe, who was then the band's bass player. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with Kircher. Join us for the next Fresh Air.
This afternoon at 3 and again tonight at 7 here on WHYY 91FM. I'm Robin Young. Join us next time for the news and these stories here and now. An abortion doctor tells her story from patient to provider. Also, cartoonist Jules Pfeiffer on making a children's book with his daughter. That's Public Radio's Daily Digest of News and Culture here and now. Today at noon on WHYY. This is Radio Times here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Marty Moss Cohen. This past fall, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture announced that dairies that don't use artificial growth hormones will not be able to promote that fact on a milk carton or container label. The plan is to remove phrases like free of artificial growth hormones. The uh, Agriculture Depar- uh, Department proposal has run into some opposition and has been put on hold, still under consideration, and we're debating this issue with uh, Michael Hansen and Terry Etherton. Michael Hansen, uh, senior staff scientist with Consumers Union, working on food safety issues. Terry Etherton, head of the Department of Dairy and Animal Science at Penn State University, part of the Commonwealth's Food Labeling Advisory Committee that determined that the milk label free, hormone-free, is confusing to consumers. And I know, Terry, uh, you want to respond to something that Michael was saying right before the break, having to do with this FDA uh, approval and also uh, Monsanto. Yeah, he, he was slandering the process. The scientific method is one of the greatest inventions, and it's allowed all these technologies and medicines and stuff to push society forward, and as I said earlier in the show, there's thousands of papers by credible scientists in the FDA that's affirmed and reaffirmed that milk from cows supplement with BST is safe, wholesome, and nutritious as other milk. And he made this comment about IGF and cancer. The opponents, uh, the short version is they think if you consume IGF, you increase your risk for cancer. He said that IGF is the same molecule, that is, human IGF that you're making right now, Marty, and that Michael's making it's the very same amino acid sequence as the one that's found in the cow. So it occurs in humans. We have tons of it floating around. So if there's a concern about IGF, it shouldn't be milk IGF because we get very little. In fact, uh, a person has to drink about 408-ounce glasses of milk in a single day to get the amount of IGF that you're making in your body. Uh, you'd have to drink about 95 quarts of milk a day to get a comparable amount of this hormone that's made in your saliva and secreted over a 24-hour period. So... The facts just don't support this argument. But why not? And I'm back to you, Terry Etherton, then. I mean, if, if this is as safe as you say it is, and I'm, I'm not necessarily questioning that, yeah. why not then put that on the label, which is to say, you know, this milk is uh, treated or whatever the word is with RBGH or RBST, and, uh, you know, scientists have found that this is uh, as healthy as anything else. So why, not, why not promote the fact that it has this growth hormone? I, I would champion... Truth and labeling, uh, we have a good milk versus bad milk marketing campaign going on. These absence claims are more of the, the bad marketing. Uh, and this is just crazy to do it this way, to, to try to differentiate milk by these negative, misleading absence claims. So the secretary and the process is just trying to have an element here that says, if you can't prove it, you shouldn't put it on the label. And this affidavit process is... is going to be too burdensome and costly to enforce. That's my point. Let me get to Michael Hansen just to respond to that, then we'll get back to our callers. Yes, just very quickly, again, saying that these affidavits, these absence claims can't be made. I can't imagine, is uh, is Dr. Etherton uh, saying that all country of origin labeling should stop, that all Pennsylvania produce that is sold is locally grown, that that's all misleading and should completely uh, stop. This is a very selective argument um, over this uh, product. As for the IGF-1, I will point out that, yes, the body does produce large amounts of IGF-1, but the fact that the IGF-1 is in, that's in milk, it's protected from digestion by casein, one of the main proteins in milk. And I can point you to studies where people, by consuming lots of dairy products, were able to increase their IGF-1 levels in their circulatory system. Michael, so there can be an from? effect. Uh, epidemiology studies have carefully wow. shown that, and well, that look, cannot be debated. Michael yeah, Hansen, that's, hold, that's on, hold on one debatable. second. But is, has anyone gotten cancer from drinking milk that's uh, been um, injected with RBGH? Uh, that, we don't know that because, again, you would have to do long-term studies. Cancer takes over a decade, plus you would have to be able to track 
people that have drank labeled, uh, have drank milk from treated cows versus untreated. We have no labeling, no way to track that. So you wouldn't be able to do the epidemiology uh, to answer that question. But because there are increases and because of all this new evidence on IGF-1, we have quite a number of scientists out there that are uh, recommending that there should be here. Here is a um, editorial from the British Medical Journal from 2000, which says, quote, given the increasing evidence of the risk of cancer, caution should be exercised in the exogenous, that means coming from outside the body, use of either insulin-like growth factor one or substances, substances that increase concentrations of it. So... Uh, but, you know, the environmental exposure is minuscule compared to what's floating around in your bloodstream. And, Marty, the, 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 the notion about BST, in milk, there's about 50 picograms per milliliter. Treatment doesn't change it. Now, I have a hard time telling consumers what a picogram is. It's 10 to the minus 12 grams, and maybe a better way to look at this is if you had a big swimming pool, you fill it with ping pong balls, and have a colored ping pong ball, that one ping pong ball is BST. Yeah. And it's not... Uh, biological active in humans. It's a protein. The pasteurization process denatures it, that is, makes it biologically inactive. And then we consume proteins, whether it's a green bean protein or a peanut protein or amino acids from a recombinant protein, it all gets digested, has no hormone-like effect. That's what the credible science base shows. Well, We've got more pressing social issues to be debating than this one is my well, strong opinion. We've got a full bank of calls here, so clearly people want to talk about it. Let me get Dan uh, from Quakertown to join us. Hi, Dan. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Marty. Hi there. Uh, thanks for letting me on the show. Sure. Um, You're a farmer, is that right, Dan? Yes, we have a goat farm, and we it's a conventional goat farm, mm-hmm. um, and we also have a, um organic vegetable farm. And your expert, your, the doctor from Penn State mentioned that farmers should become certified organic, but there is, in organic certification, there is no real... Um, a test to find if the vegetables or produce we produce is treated or not. The organic inspector comes and looks at our past receipts um, to see if we're buying proper seeds, to see if we're buying fertilizers or things like that that are not allowed. And um, so there's no... He's saying that that would be the way to certify this milk, but it would be the same thing as the affidavit type of test. Well, Dan, l- let me see what uh, Terry Etherton has to say to, to your comment. Thanks for the call to Radio Times. Uh, Terry Etherton, go ahead. What, what I had said was that if people want to do this, there's a certification process in place for organic foods. And what the caller spoke about very accurately is there's no way you can take a cucumber and by assay determine is this an organically produced cucumber or a locally produced cucumber or is this a conventional cucumber. Then you get the next part of the debate is, well, there, you know, the evidence base, the Institute of Food Technology, which publishes Journal of Food Science and does a lot of cutting-edge research sponsors it, you know, they came out with an editorial that basically said, you know, if consumers want to pay more for organic, that's okay, but we can't tell any difference as far as uh, nutrient value and composition. Michael Hansen, you want to respond, and then we'll get back to our callers. Well, just for the organic, the, there actually is some evidence that certain organic fruits and vegetables do have higher levels of certain nutrients, but even if even if they didn't, part of the reason people uh, buy organic is because there is no uh, artificial chemicals, pesticides, and fertilizers being used that could have adverse effects on the and, and environment. So people are, the reason they buy organic is for a whole range of reasons, and those are all valid. Uh, Dan, thanks for the call. We've got Marianne from Coopersburg. Hi, Marianne. Go ahead. You're Radio Times. Hi. I have Hi. two quick comments. Sure. The first is um, you know, Monsanto, which was mentioned previously, has been a major force in lobbying for this ban, and they've lobbied extensively throughout the country. So I'd like somebody to comment on the role that they've played in this most recent decision. And the other comment is, you know, I think it's really a slippery slope that we're on because, you know, the FDA is set to announce today that um, cloned meat can be introduced into the marketplace, and there's a huge public opinion against that. 
So the same labeling issue will come up with regard to cloned meat. And I think it's a fundamental difference. Um, and, you know, the comment that was made about the cloned meat was, sorry, my daughter. Well, you know what, Marion? L- l- let me take your, your first comment, only because we got a full bank of calls, and I, I want to give you a chance to get back to your kids. But also, uh, let me start with you, Terry Etherton, because uh, uh, certainly critics of this uh, proposed ban uh, do point to the influence of Monsanto, which does sell this stuff. Well, they're a private sector company. They developed a wonderful technology. Uh, it's the same science that's used to produce a lot of recombinant proteins used in, in, for human health. And so the scientific method is the same. So when people criticize it, for example, I have not met a person with type 1 diabetes, that is people that require insulin, that are concerned about taking recombinant or synthetic insulin. See, there's wordplay here. There are, there are a number of short-statured kids in, the, in countries, and if they're not treated with synthetic human growth hormone or somatotropin, then it being short-statured or suffering from dwarfism. Those people think that's wonderful technology. So... You know, to, to, to say that a company's got a vested interest, well, all private sector companies, they produce products. It's in their interest to have safe, effective technologies. They're not in the business to, to develop technologies that, that, uh, that uh, cause concerns around, that orbit around safety. And so, and, you know, in a democratic country uh, as U.S., Monsanto can do as they wish. What we're talking about is an evidence base that has been built in a way that's done by scientists in, in countless and dozens of countries throughout the world, and how that applies to this discussion about food safety. Let, me, my anyway. let me get to Michael Hansen to well, respond it, about the role of Monsanto in this discussion. Monsanto is key. They're the main people that have uh, paid for this drug. They have put a lot of money into, for example, the professional dairy managers of uh, Pennsylvania, so they will push this. They've actually, oh, and I'm sure he'll oh, tell you, they have flown to a number of states so that you can talk to dairy farmers mm-hmm. and others and tell them how great this uh, product is and how uh, consumers, uh, how things shouldn't be labeled. And, uh, I'm a champion so of science. don't have right a uh, right to know. So okay, hold on, hold on. Honest, you wait, are wait, wait, being paid by time. Monsanto to travel to other, other states. Then, so cut it out. Well, Terry, They're paying for your travel. You've, who pays for your travel? Consumers Union. So you can advocate what you want. Right. Uh, How is like Consumers Union, Union the people irrelevant. publish Consumer Reports? Is not Let, hold on, gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. Hold on, hold on. My, my show. Hold on one second. Got it. And it doesn't work when you're talking over each other. But to you, Terry Etherton, if Pennsylvania then goes ahead with this ban, this would be the first state in the U.S., is that right? Yes. I mean, why is, is Pennsylvania being so proactive on this issue? Well, it's a big industry. Uh, we have a, a terrifically supportive dairy industry as far as defending technology use. They recognize there might be other technologies downstream that could be attacked. Uh, if this technology were to disappear, then the bigger risk is that you would see a decrease in discovery science done at universities. You'd see a decrease in new technologies to feed a growing world. And in this discussion, we have a challenge that we have to feed a lot more people by 2050. How are we going to do that? We need to invest in ways to enhance food production efficiency. That is, more apples per tree, more grapes per vine, or in the case of BST, you get more milk produced per unit food the cow consumes, then you get a uh, environmental benefit as well. And just quickly, um, and then I want to get a response from Michael Hansen, but looking at Pennsylvania dairy farmers, what percentage of them use this synthetic hormone? Well, the, the data are company confidential. My observation is it's about a third of the dairy cows in Pennsylvania are in treatment. So there's about 650,000 cows, so you take one-third of that. Okay. And, Michael Hansen, this this idea that uh, we have to feed a growing world, we need more apples, we need more green beans, we need more milk. Agree? Disagree? Uh, but <laughs> whether or not our BGH is being used in Pennsylvania has got nothing to do with uh, people that are starving in other countries. That is uh, uh, a very facile notion. Most of the reason that uh, people are uh, starving in countries is because they don't have money to buy food. Virtually any place in the world, if you give money, if you give money to people, you can uh, cause them not to go uh, to bed hungry at night. We have people that are hungry here in uh, America, and it's not because we don't have enough food. It's because how it's uh, 
distributed. The other thing I would like to say is this notion that one-third of the dairy cows in Pennsylvania, I have a hard time believing that, given that national figures show that for um, farms that have less than 100 cows, only 6% of those farms use RBGH. For farms where there's over 500 cows, it's like 42% of the farms. The majority of farms in Pennsylvania are very small. Uh, so how they could have such a high usage rate, because again, nationally, the figures show 17% of the cows are treated. So Dr. Etherton is saying that that figure is doubled in I'm Pennsylvania the that where there is not a large, large, on. large farms. I have a hard time with that. Okay, go ahead. Terry Etherton. But my point is that, at least my previous point, this attack on the use of BST is an attack on science, an attack on technology, and if we hinder technological innovation and food production, what do we do? I mean, going forward, some have concerns about climactic conditions that could affect food production. We have geopolitical strife ongoing that affects food production and distribution. We've got a lot of poor countries. So the question is, how are we going to do it? And I am championing the idea that we need to invest in developing the next scientific breakthroughs, and if we don't have an infrastructure to do the science, then how do we do it? And just final question, this is back to you, Terry Etherton, only because you're on this uh, labeling advisory committee in Pennsylvania. Uh, when do you think the Department of Agriculture will, in, in effect, uh, you know, put this ban in, into effect? Uh, I don't, my, uh, this is just my speculation. I think this will be the first part of February, but that's me just making a best speculation. I, and I'm not privy to the conversations right. that are going on in the Secretary's office uh, with whomever he's talking to about this. But you're saying it's coming. This that's band my, is coming. Yes, that's my sense. That's your sense. Well, thank you, Terry Etherton, for joining us today on Radio Times. You're welcome, Marty. And Michael Hansen, thank you very much as well. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Terry Etherton, Professor of Animal Nutrition, Head of the Department of Dairy and Animal Science at Penn State University. He also served on the Pennsylvania Commonwealth's Food Labeling Advisory Committee. They determined that the, that milk labeled hormone-free is confusing to consumers. Michael Hansen, Senior Staff Scientist with Consumers Union, working on food safety issues. Appreciate your phone calls to Radio Times. You can also uh, drop us an email or find out more about uh, Radio Times by going to whyy.com. Org slash Radio Times. Scotty Williams, the engineer for today's edition of the of the show. Devorah Lissick, Alan Tu, and Susan Greenbaum produce Radio Times. I'm Marty Moscoane. Thank you so much for joining us, and you're listening to WHYY FM Philadelphia, your member-supported news and information station serving Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Support for this public radio podcast comes from Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals, institutions, and advisors reach their long-term financial goals. 1-888-VANGUARD.